Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You know, I'm a couples therapist for 30 plus years. And many, many times I have sat and said, my God, this is the best theater in town. (laughs) And nobody knows it. And I thought, what would happen if we opened the, the room, this room where nobody ever enters? And I thought, we need this conversation to be in the public. We need an honest, truthful conversations about the pitfalls of modern intimacy and the challenges thereof. Esther Perel's new podcast, Where Should We Begin?, lets people listen in on actual couples therapy sessions. It's riveting, awkward, and totally original. In this Work It session, the author and therapist tells us how she manages to get her patients to open up on mic. I'm Sarah Gonzalez, and this is Work It, the podcast, a selection of talks from the Work It Festival for Women in Audio. All right. Hi. Um, I'm Jesse Baker. I work at Audible. Uh, I come from public radio before this, um, and this is my colleague, and probably the reason most of you ladies are here, uh, Esther Perel. <laughs> Thank you. And this is classic Esther. Last minute, she wants to not follow the rules, and she wants to sit over there. (laughs) We've never been so far away. (laughs) Um, I may come back. All right. Well, I I do miss you over here, but that's okay. Um, Okay, so this is... Can you see her? uh... I'll set up a little bit. Um, And I also have to apologize. PowerPoint is so not my thing. We we were asked to, and I did, I was very, I was a good rule follower, and I made a PowerPoint, but it's not that interesting. So honestly, if you want to look at Esther, like, look at Esther. She's much more interesting than what I'm about to display on this giant screen. Um, So before we start, I want to say thank you to WNYC and to Work It. Uh, for having us and for including us in such a magical, wonder-filled, creative group of women. Uh, We really are in great company this week. Uh, And thank you all for coming. Uh, And I will plug, if you don't get enough of this, she's going to do a main stage at 3 o'clock, and it is not to be missed. I will be there. Okay, so let us begin. Um, The first thing we did was change the title of this. This is not how I made it, it's how we made it. Uh, We're a pretty small group, um, largely all women except for Paul. So my first slide is, um, okay, I did this backwards. So so to start this, let's talk about Esther, let's talk about, um, before we get to how, we'll talk about why. Um, I made Esther kind of, Actually, this is a super edited version, and and we don't have to read this, but I I asked her, I texted her one night, and I said, "Um, here's my answer to why we made this. What's yours? And it was was a page. Um, So I made this, and then I'm going to let you talk about why you made this. I wanted to make this because I met Esther, and she's like no one I've ever met. She is a total singular individual. She has changed my life, and I knew uh, she could change others. Uh, I wanted to share her with everyone else. Um, How we did that, we sort of had to figure out together, but the why was really easy, and I think spending 10 minutes with her today in a room, you'll get it too, if you haven't listened to the show. Um, How many of you have listened? Have not listened? Great. Okay. Great. 
But why don't you talk about why? Why, why would you do this? You know, I'm a couples therapist for 30 plus years and many, many times I have sat and said, my God, this is the best theater in town. <laughs> and nobody knows it. Um, and nobody actually knows what goes on backstage of couples' lives. And if there is a unit that is often so isolated and yet packed up with more expectations than ever in history, it's called the couple. And nobody, you know, I kept thinking, if in, the old, in the old town, the, the windows were open and you heard every fight. Today, your best friend comes to tell you that they're divorcing and you didn't see it coming. And I just thought, you know, the number one public health crisis at this point in America is loneliness, more than anything else. And people are dealing with the complexities of relationships that never was the case. And I am there to help them navigate some of the complexities of that. And I thought, what would happen if we opened the, the room, this room where nobody ever enters? And especially now when people are curating their fantastical lives on social and you, they all always look so happy, but they don't look happy in my office and, or any other couples therapist office. It's like, we're like the dentist. You only go at acute pain, you know, and, uh, and usually often too late. And I thought, we need this conversation to be in the public. We need an honest, truthful conversations about the pitfalls of modern intimacy and the challenges thereof. And we need to offer it in such a way that people start talking again. Um, because ultimately, it's the quality of our relationships that determines the quality of our lives. And so when um, June Cohen from TED originally came to me, um, because I had given a couple of TED Talks, and June and Jesse were together looking at what would be people that could have original ideas, I knew I didn't want to do therapy on, on the screen. I have been offered many times to do this on TV. And I just thought, once you do it on, on screen, you don't know who you're working for. Are you working to entertain the audience or are you working for the couple? But this allowed me to be in my office to follow the process that any other couple that applies to come and see me gets to do. And I forget within 10 seconds that there is a mic on me and I'm just doing the work. And now I could maintain my integrity and fill a bigger goal, which was to really create a, a larger conversation about all of this. And so um, we had no idea what we were going to make. It's really actually very important. We just said, let's do a session. I said to her, come and watch a session and see if you think there's something here. I know what I see in sessions, but I don't know if it's interesting for others. Um, and this is how it started, right? Right. Um, I should have done this, this clip first. Um, it takes a village to birth a podcast, to build a community, um, but it doesn't necessarily take a village to make that podcast. Um, we are a pretty tight-knit group of people um, who work really well with each other, and this is, this is basically our village. Um, and Eva's in the room behind me, so the, the, the blonde woman with that. Raise your hand. Yeah. Don't go shy. Yes. Yeah. Um, and Lindsay, who makes everything come together, is also standing up in the back. Uh, she's Esther's business partner. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and when we sat down that morning for breakfast, it, like Lindsay and I had a like mind meld and she, she, she understood kind of the power of, of Esther. Okay, so 
Now let's get into, and sorry, this is the slide you guys are going to look at. For the people who listen in, it's just a bed. It's an unmade bed. Podcast art is a totally separate conversation, which we won't have today. Um, rising above. Um, okay, so, so most of you, or a lot of you, have heard this. Um, it's first season was 10 couples uh, with 10 very different problems. Um, and the sessions are about three hours. Uh, we screened them. So actually, Esther doesn't meet the couple until they walk into her office that day. Um, uh, our colleague Olivia and myself largely go through the applicants. And for first season, we had about 400 people apply. Uh, second season, we had 900. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and I don't know exactly. I can't tell you there's a formula for why a couple gets chosen. I think often we want... Uh, a diversity of geography, of, you know, economics, of issues, of age, of sexual orientation. Like, we wanted to present a very diverse season. Um, and I think we did a pretty good job of that first season. Um, but if I cry on the phone when I'm screening you, I screen both sides of the relationship um, because I want to make sure that both people are willing and I'm not talking one in, into doing something that's sort of not normal, right? Uh, but if I cry on the phone with you and, and, and I hang up thinking like, I think Esther can change their lives, I, I really want to bring them in, that's, that's the tip off that I'm going to call you back and say, let's do this. Uh, so we fly couples to New York. They spend about three hours with Esther in her office. Um, if you want to get super nerdy about it, they get little lav mics. Esther wears a lav mic. There are two little um, stereo mics on the table. She has a mic next to her, much like she does right now. We have an engineer and a producer sitting down the hallway, and we tape the, we, we, we tape the wires so nobody else coming in and out of the office uh, trips over them, and we sit and listen. We close the door on her, and she just she does her magic. While other therapists are working in the suite, I mean, it's actually, <laughs> when you think of it, life goes on. Yeah, if you listen in the audio, because we can't cut around it, you hear doors opening and closing all the time to that office because there are a bunch of other therapists who work in there. And like we just had to get over like the anal, like, please don't open the door uh, and just let it go. And, and the police sirens and the construction and everything, like we just we can't control it all. Um, so I feel like I want to play something. I'm going to be, I hope I don't embarrass you, but... Um, the pilot episode that we did, there was a moment where I brought a bunch of other women into the office and I said, okay, we've edited this. You have to listen to this clip because this is like, this embodies this woman, Esther. Um, I haven't heard this one. <laughs> Virginity is a great obstacle. Hmm. That's true. <laughs> you have to hover around and yeah. you just cannot. Yeah. And that obstacle then makes you be so imaginative right. about everything else yeah. rather than going for the spot. Yeah. And so I can totally understand when you say it was much more intense, it was much more diverse, it was much more full body, it was everything but, and that but made the everything so intense mm. and exciting. Yeah. And I want you to remember that that's not just a premarital situation. That's a good point, yeah. Of course, the obstacle has been removed, but on occasion, you can just invoke it. For me as the man, it is harder because now that the obstacle is not there, you know, I, of course, intercourse is what 
especially as a man, you want. So uh, probably driven a little bit more towards that and not as much of the buildup. And I know that's important for her. And I think that's, that's the dance we're trying to figure out, right? right? So there's another one of those that you should really know, is that when these lips open around the mouth, these lips open around the vagina. Right. Mm-hmm. Meaning? Meaning that if you kiss a lot, oh, yeah. you'll be invited in. So, so that was the pilot, and... Um, <laughs> So can you imagine them bringing this at Audible? <laughs> but we, we just knew there was, there was magic here. And actually, um, for the pilot, we did three couples. We brought three couples in, and we tried to decide, you know, what this could be. Um, what we initially pitched, pitched us there, June and I, at the table um, for breakfast that morning was a very different show. And what Esther was saying is that when we came into her office and we sat and we listened to the couple you didn't need a highbrow conceit. You didn't need to change anything about what happened in that room. You just needed to edit it down. Um, so Because the, the, um, I had consultant for the Showtime series, The Affair. So I, I, was, I worked on the scripts with them. I coached main, some of the main actors. And, um, you know, and it was written as a he said, she said, both times two perspectives. But in fact, in a couple, that's not the way it works. Um, it's much more circular. It's kind of what I say that then makes you say what you say that then produces in me, in fact, the opposite of what I meant to say to begin with. But then I feel like you set me up and then I provoke you and you end up doing the thing, you know, and that the more, the more. And each one actually draws out from the other. It's not each one has their own perspective. It's each one creates the response in the other. And once you begin to get that in couples, that's why it's really, it's, it's not just the best theater in town, it's improv theater. Um, and it's very hard to explain that. Um, so I just said, watch a few sessions and see. This couple, uh, um, it was an, a traditional Indian couple, not that traditional, but they met on the traditional Indian dating sites um, and um, sexless for years. And, um, and everything could have made you think she has vaginism, she has this, she's... T- but until then, suddenly you start to hear that, in fact, before it became what she should do, she was perfectly happy to do what she wanted to do. And that this was much more about patriarchy than anything else. This was not about sexual disorders, you know? And, uh, and that is a very different way of thinking about sex therapy. And some of the people in this room know this know this very well. So um, the other thing is, Audible took it as is. We have not changed anything. The only thing we had to change is one episode that was called Addict versus Asshole. <laughs> I yeah. think, right? Yeah, it's the, the only thing asshole we... part of that didn't fly. So it's <laughs> the attic. <laughs> um, I'll play another clip, but talk a little bit about what it's been like for you Uh, to throw open your office doors and and to invite people in to listen? So I have two different reactions. One reaction is when I think about the general public listening. And I'm thinking, what I really wanted to do is invite you in, into the, the space where no one enters, to listen to these raw, intimate, unscripted conversations 
because from there you get the vocabulary for the conversations that you may want to have. And by definition, when you listen to others, if the stories are universal, you're standing in front of your own mirror. When I think about my colleagues, it's a very different thing because I have more exposed than I have ever been. You know, therapists can tell you all kinds of things. Nobody's ever seen them do the work. This is one profession that has very little actual customer rating because, you know, no one enters. Except when you do train as a couples therapist in family therapy, like I did, you train behind the one-way mirror. So we actually have been trained to be, to be observed by, by our teachers. But in the majority of therapists have never seen another therapist do the work. And what I tell you I did is very different than when I watch myself on video afterwards. And I, what I think I did is not exactly what happened. You know, so I have been listening. So there is three audiences. There is the professional audience, there is the general audience, and there is myself. Myself listening to myself. And I'm like, I haven't studied as much in a long time by literally scrupulously listening to me do this line by line, moment by moment. Um, I have now taken this also to teach therapists. So I've, I'm, it's become the best master classes I can have. And there it's really, you know, who, depending on, on, on the, some colleagues think this is excellent work, this is what they aspire to, and for other people, they have different points of views, and, um, and that's not at all the way they would go about it. But it's extremely vulnerable. I, that's it, there is nothing anymore I can hide behind. Um, the other thing about this show, which is very unique to me as a producer, is that there is zero script, like nothing, not an intro, not an outro, maybe the credits, uh, the credits are scripted so that I remember everyone's name. Uh, I've never worked on a show like that. And it's largely because, you know, Esther speaks nine, nine languages. Um, and she speaks English 10 times better than I do. I mean, the, the turns of phrases and the things that she thinks of are, are poetic. And I couldn't even, in my wildest dreams, couldn't pretend to write that for her. Um, so it makes for a really fun uh, tracking session. And, and the way that this works is, so we record the couple one day. Eva and Olivia and I go back and we, we spend about two weeks kind of editing it down from that three hours to about 45 minutes. And we agonize over the edits. Then we send it to her for a listen. And then we go back and sit in that same office and we play it back for her. And then we stop it down and we ask questions like, well, why did you say this? Or what were you, what were you thinking? Or what was really going on at this moment? Um, and it, it provides this like kind of director's commentary throughout. And the the thing that I, I love everything about you, Sarah, but one of the things I love is, is how um, she'll be critical of herself. She'll be like, I wish I would have said this or that. Um, I, I'm always amazed at, at how, in retrospect, you know, sometimes you think you get it right. Um, and other times you're like, And you know. I'm very happy when I get it right. <laughs> it's like, they seem like, yes, I did. I don't know. I'm waiting to see what am I going to say next. And then I did. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I want to play another clip, uh, which is one of, uh, I actually, the, the whole first season I feel super attached to. Um, we're about to release a second season this month, and um, I think I will feel as attached to it as, as we get a little further into it. Um, but this one definitely holds a special place. Um, 
I'm going to pick I've Had Better because I what I like about this cut, and this was from the very first episode we released. Um, it was a husband and wife, a year post-affair. Post he had cheated, and it had been a year since she found out. Um, and the thing that I love is how you just don't take any shit. You, know, you don't let people get away with stuff, and you're, you call them on it, and... And it's not judgmental, it's, it's what they need to hear. What you need to know is that Jesse is one of the few living creatures in New York City who had never been to therapy. <laughs> Her first intro to this world is me. <laughs> true. So it's like everything goes. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's totally true. So I probably have a very biased view of therapy because this is my this is my lens. Um, but anyway, so so here is um, I've had better. Nope. Uh, did you have good sex with me before we got married? Yeah. Did you? It was good enough. <laughs> I don't know what that means. It was good, but. I don't know, for the most part, it was good. Say more. I've had better, <laughs> but I didn't think that that would be so important. Before we had kids, before we were married, I mean, it was totally different. I didn't, also didn't like the five minutes of sex. It was terrible. Why did you do it? Why did you? You did. I didn't plan. You thought that's minutes? what I need to give him. No, And no. he did it because he thought that's what I could get. I don't get. think it's true. I, I didn't want it to be five minutes, but he was done in five minutes and gone. And then nobody said, stay? He's tired. I'm tired. I want to go to sleep. He doesn't want to have sex at night. He wants to have sex in the morning. It can be like a long romantic sex in the morning, right? Why not rent a hotel and start with that? To me, like when you like are renting a hotel in your city to have sex, I just can't do it like you that. You did it with the girl. It wasn't, but it was more, it was more about just the excitement of... All right, let me stop you a second, baby. <laughs> Because you don't tell him much. He doesn't tell you much. You let this thing degrade, both of you. You're a year into the discovery of the affair, and so... We're not in the crisis mode. We're not. But the second phase is what I call the insight. It is the meaning-making. Why did this happen? How did this happen? What did it mean for you? What did you find there? It's a both hand. It's what happened to you and what happened to us. And what can we learn from it? And how did we allow ourselves to enter a place where we both were quite unhappy Neither of us really felt the other person is going to hear it, is going to take it, is going to receive it, just like that, without instantly switching into a blame mode, blame and defense. That's the conversation I hear you're trying to have. It doesn't really matter if it's around sex or about something else. The form is the same. Once you have this kind of pattern, just about every conversation will go in the same direction. All right, I think I'm actually supposed to, um, and if I had her to just ask questions to for the last 20 minutes, I would totally, so I'm not going to step on that time. I'm going to let you ask some questions. Is there anything, um, I mean, you have a crazy, 
you have a crazy life right now between, so Esther has a book, let me just plug this because she won't, I want to. Um, Esther has a book coming out next week on Tuesday, October 10th, uh, The State of Affairs, and it's been the labor of love for the last five years, right? Um, so she'll be in various cities all over the country uh, doing talks and lectures and publicity. So you can pre-order the book. I've read it. And actually, one of the things that I am the most pleased about is um, that I've just finished reading the audiobook, but I asked that we insert at the end of the audiobook of the State of Affairs four excerpts of episodes from the podcast that treat the subject of infidelity so that you've listened to the book and now you're going right into the office. And that has never been done, that you can actually, you know, you read about it and now you're going to actually experience it. Um, and getting Amazon and HarperCollins to agree on that was a, a challenge navigated by this lady <laughs> who made it happen. But I knew it's never been done and it has to be done because this is bringing podcasts into a whole different level. Um, you know, you didn't have any of the clips with the music. Does any of the clip have music? Well, the Frenchies Because they can't has, hear the sound, actually. Frenchies has music in it, but I figured you'd play that this afternoon. Ah, okay. Um, we, we do a sound design, if you want to get geeky. Um, that's pretty light. Uh, the, Paul Schneider, who is our audio guru... I don't know how to describe Paul. Paul wears so many hats, um, and if he's listening, he's wonderful. Um, but he is largely the brain behind how this feels and sounds, especially we craft this, if you haven't heard it. The first two minutes really introduce you to the couple. Do the um, prologue, maybe? or No, you have oh. the prologue for later. Oh, I didn't okay. bring it. Um, but each, each episode starts... We had to share clips because she's doing another one, so I didn't want to step on toes. Um, uh, each each episode starts with a couple of minutes, and most of the time it's kind of crappy phone or tape, and it's largely the screenings that we do, because that's where people are the most blunt about their issues. Um, so we'll splice that with some intro from her and some music to kind of give you, like, well, here's what the next 40 minutes is going to unfold. Um, sometimes we use session tape, but I, I kind of like the juxtaposition of the before, um, even quality-wise. You hear it and you're like, this sounds like bad phoner, but it, it's kind of intended. It's like a stylistic thing that's intentional. Esther does not like the phoner tape. That, because it's, it's less audible, actually. I mean, I played it in Europe, and uh, it, it's for people for whom it's not native language, the hardest thing for a language is the telephone. Any of you who have ever been foreigners know the, that's when you know you've fact actually gotten into the language is when you no longer feel like a phone call is just some, you know, uh, she doesn't know that. But it's, uh, that's true. Yeah. So. English is my only language. Wait, so just, just so then what, let's play, um, I'll play Frenchies. Um, actually, this is not what this is called. This episode is called Speak to Me in French. Uh, and this clip is literally the beginning, first couple setup of the couple. And so it is what happens is this. People apply in writing. Like if they came to see me in my own practice. Those are not my patients. They apply for the podcast. The first season, we put one or two mails on Facebook and on social. And basically, people came who kind of knew me around the work, around sexuality, infidelity, couples work, all of that. The second season is completely different because the people that are applying apply because they've listened to it. 
And so the whole entry point is different. Um, I want that experience. I have that too. Maybe this could help. We have been going around, you know, so we get different levels of desperation, different levels of, it's a, it's, it's a very different intake process. But the writing is the same. They feel the same questionnaire than any people who come to see me in normal life feel. Then they do the interview and I read that text, that telephone, you know, and from there, that is my first meeting with the couple. The, the day before or so, I, I read what, how they tell the story. Because I believe that people come in with a story to therapy. People live by their stories. And their stories describes their life, but their stories also shape their life. And my goal is at the end of one session, you need to leave with at least an, one new piece to your story. You cannot leave the way you came in. And this couple has been together for 17 years. They have a, they're both uh, survivors of sexual abuse. They're both evangelical Christians. They both met in the purity movement. They both were virgin when they got together the first time. They both have had a terrible sex life, terrible. Um, and, um, and so I'm thinking, I'm not, they're not coming in here to tell me the story of trauma one more time. How many, per, they, you know, people go in and they, they've already told that story. We have to come up with something else. So that was my only primary goal with this couple is I don't think I need to know the details of what the, all the bad things that have happened to them. So this is an example of that phone set up in two minutes or less. So like, here's what you need to know about this couple. I don't know why it's doing that, sorry. We met each other in college at Opera Scenes Workshop, actually. Our director kept putting us in scenes together, and by the end of the, the term, we finally figured out that, oh, that romantic thing that you were doing, that, well, that was actually real. That wasn't uh, just acting. Desire and attraction, that has never been there for us. And we were part of what was called the evangelical purity culture movement of the late 90s. We have changed our views since then. We're both spiritual sort of people. I guess I tend more toward the atheistic side now. But it was really important to us to remain pure until marriage. My husband and I didn't kiss until we got engaged. And the night that I got engaged, I kissed him. And even though my heart and my head knew I was totally in love with this man, my body was screaming, no, this is not right. We're two survivors of childhood sexual abuse who managed to find one another, get married, and then find out that we were sexually mismatched. But not only that, we were sort of, you know, each of us with our own cauldron of sexual confusion and uh, dysfunction. Anytime I try to have sex with him, it, I feel like I'm forcing myself. It feels incestuous. Two years ago, my adult sexuality came bursting out. I ended up realizing that I really loved sex. I just did not love sex with my husband. She would like sex to be much more energetic. I'd like it to come out of uh, a place where I feel safe. I'm not willing to walk away from my marriage. But what I need to know is, can we learn to be attracted to one another? So when I listen to this couple, 
I am imagining that sex for these two people at this point has become a subject that is so fraught, that is mired in pain, in trauma, and that is very serious. And that from that place, not much change can come. So I'm thinking, how do I guide them to at least one experience where sexuality for them can be experienced with lightness, with fun, with joy? People come in with a story. At the end of the first session, I want them to leave with a different story because a different story is what breeds hope, is what gives them the sense of possibility. And this is Where Should We Begin with Esther Perel. You need a new perspective. Yeah, so otherwise it's going to be one more interesting chat, but with no movement. And then you start to feel more hopeless each time. So I want a tiny bit more info, just so I have a sense of what you've done, because I understand I'm not the first person you're speaking with. But I also had this idea that maybe you would do the entire session as two options. One is you change names. And I thought since you, you sing, right? Yeah. You could speak with different accents, but you need to become different people in play. Or I blindfold you or I ask you to close your eyes, basically. And you do the entire session without looking at each other. (laughs) (laughs) Which one do we... (laughs) You can say no to all the above, of course. She proceeded to be blindfolded for three hours. (laughs) In case you wonder. So, I mean, that's... To the listener... This is the producer note. um, You have the pre... You have the Esther kind of setting up, you have the show ID, then you have the, you know, it's like clear when the session starts without us having to say, here's the start of the session, you know? So it's like, I like, that's why I love how the phone tape bleeds into, into the session. That's my favorite episode, actually, of, of the whole first season. And I think it was kind of a polarizing one. You either really liked it or you, it was not for you. Um, so I, I super love when people come like, oh, Frenchies are my fave. I'm like, yeah, me too. Um, anyway, okay, so, so why don't you take some questions? Yep. Good. There's a mic here. Since they're recording this. Yeah, move it down a bit. It's okay, you're in the front. We'll make it happen. I'm going to speak to you through a microphone so yes. you can hear me. <laughs> Um, my question is... And your name. My name is Lily. Yeah. And I'm a therapist, and we met yesterday. That's right. On the street. And, um, Lily has a podcast. It's called A Therapist Walks Into a Bar. Yeah. I do. <laughs> you need to know. It's a great title, too. So I'm really... Even though our podcasts are, are very different in format, and, like, I'm not, I'm not putting sessions from my therapy clients out there, which I love that you are... Um, I feel like we're doing something similar around trying to bring this thing that's been so private into a public space. And that includes ourselves as clinicians and as people. And I'm wondering with hearing about how you will point out where you maybe have made mistakes or where you feel like you could have done better, how you balance your professional self as an expert and 
your real vulnerable self as a human in how you show up in the podcast and what you're presenting to the public. I tend towards being very vulnerable and human, and it feels like, you know, it's a pretty risky professional choice, and it feels right for me, but I'm always looking to find that balance. Great. Great. I'm going to take, here, listen to a few and see what themes. Yeah. Oh, go, go. Great. <laughs> I'm Misha. Uh, this is for both of you. Is it a stylistic choice to use lav mics instead of shotgun mics set up in the room? Do you want me to answer that? Yeah, that's a short answer. Okay, so. I, I'd, love, I'd love to see how you answered that. I have no clue. I know. <laughs> um, they just plugged something on me and I figured. <laughs> uh, we actually don't use the lavs very much. Esther does a lot of touching exercises or she'll help people get up. And so we, we use the lavs sort of as a backup so that if someone gets up and something happens, we have it on tape. But most of the time we just use, you know, the shotgun mics that sit on the table. Um, there are six mics open in the room, so it's a lot of noise. And, but most of the time the touching exercises... You don't really want to hear people touch each other. And they're not um, close to their mouths, the mics, right? They're like the lobs? Yeah, they're no, the, sh- the shotguns, they're, they sit, you know, cross, crossed each other. And then she has the exact same setup with, with a shotgun and not an Omni um, where she sits. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Hi, Esther. Um, I have to say that you're kind of mental health's Beyonce. So. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as far as I'm that is, concerned. That is, I will remember that. What's your name? Uh, my name is Rebecca. Rebecca, I should remember um, that. And um, my mom is actually a psychologist and family therapist in a, a small town in Pennsylvania. Um, and I think what you're doing is so amazing. Um, and I actually have been so inspired by mental health professionals in my life, I decided to make a podcast with my mom where I collect her advice to other people that don't have psychologist moms in their lives. I'm sure your children can relate. (laughs) Um, And I see it as part of a bigger mission to make people understand that mental health is, um, should be as universally available as physical health benefits are. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you see our role? What, What can we do to kind of promote that message to a bigger audience and yeah, as individual podcasts, certainly um, your name carries much more weight than advice from mom. But um, what can we do as a small podcast as well? Great, great. Let's uh, go together. Yeah. Hi, I'm Casey. Hey. Hi, Casey. Um, I'm curious. This is actually a question for both the production team and you. You How can you... lift the mic, then you don't have to bend. There you go. <laughs> Um, really curious about how you get these people comfortable before you begin. If it's something that maybe you say to them before, or if the production team asks them a number of questions, or just how do you get them to relax and be authentic and themselves in these sessions when they have a mic right on them? Thanks. So actually, your question and um, and Lily's first question go together. You know. Um, I don't make a distinction between expert and vulnerable. To me, um, they go there together. When they come in and they're nervous, so am I. You know, um, I don't think I am making a podcast, but I, I do know at this point that I'm being watched. It's like for a long time I forgot I was being watched. Now I know because I've already heard some of the... It's like I wished I had never heard season one. <laughs> 
I know, you know, but that lasts about two, three minutes. So when they come in, people enter. I have a tiny waiting room. There's a couch. Um, we ask them if they want coffee, if they want to drink water. Jesse comes out. Everybody on the team comes out. It's, it's really normal behavior. We don't treat, they're not patients. They're people. I mean, in my head, there are a couple I'm going to see, but, but I, I do what I do always. Um, then they sit down and then I say, you know, often what happens now is because they're flown in from all over the States, which is a, the, the nicest thing for me is that I'm not just working with New Yorkers. I actually am working with the diversity of America. And for many of them, this is the first time they come to New York in their life. And they've been put up in the hotel around the corner from the office, and they've had a chance to walk. And for some of them, it's the first time in three years that they leave the three children behind, that they have a moment to breathe, to even think about their relationship. And I'm thinking all of that is already part of the therapy session. That in itself is therapeutic. Maybe if they had had more of that, we wouldn't be on some of the things, you know. So this, to me, is all part of the intervention, if you want. I, I can no longer think the intervention. The intervention starts the moment they fill in the application. Because some of them fill in the application, and when, and when Jesse calls, they're surprised that they've been called. Like they were just doing this, but they never, never thought it through. What was, could this actually mean? Um, and I don't know how many of them she has to talk about, talk with a few times before that, that uh, Jesse will answer. But so when they arrive, the team greets them. Whoever is there, it's, it's, uh, it's Lindsay, it's uh, Eva or, or Olivia and, and one of the two sound um, engineers. And um, then they, we mic them. And then when the door closes, we are just in my office and that, that's my space. And then we sit down and we start. And, you know, um, I don't see, this is a very interesting question you ask. I actually don't really see this as a, as a podcast about mental health, even though it is. But it is a podcast about relationships and about couples, knowing that today there is no unit that has undergone a bigger change in all our relational systems than the couple. Friendship is still friendship, and family is family, and siblings is siblings, but romantic love has changed the scene. And there is no unit that has more expectations piled upon it than the couple. There is no greater dreams attached to this story, and there is no greater disillusion attached to this unit. So um, it is really the nexus through which you see a lot of what goes on in people's lives, including the fact that today families only survive if the couples do well. That's it. There's no, nothing else holding families together than the quality of the emotional connection of the two people at the helm of it. So I work, you know, I work from a place that, but that is already more of, what it, do, do I have a methodology or... My, I have an enormous amount of systemic thinking in my head, but when I work, I am not busy thinking step one, step two, step three. I am actually a very intuitive, in the moment therapist. It's, it doesn't teach very well because I don't systematize it. I have, I can tell you what I'm doing, how I'm looking at things, you know, but what do I do to make them comfortable? I talk about what they've been doing in New York 
I talk about where they've been. I talk about when I came the first time to New York. I talk about the fact that I'm nervous too. I talk about, you know, if they're foreigners, I talk about the fact that I also am a foreigner. I ask them if they've ever been to therapy. I say, if you had good experiences in therapy and when they can't remember the name of the therapist they saw, I say, I wish that's not going to happen to me. <laughs> because, you know, it's like if you've been useful to people, they usually remember your name, like your first grade teacher. But if, they, if you've become nameless, it means it was inane. Um, and inane is better than harmful, but there have been those as well. And we talk. I've been a patient. I know. I mean, it's, it's, this is, I'm not enshrining this. You're not entering a shrine. You're just entering a therapist's office who's going to try to help you. Um, in season two, we have a lot of, we have very little about sex, and we only have one session about infidelity. We have illness. We have, we have really, you know, bad stuff happening to people's lives. We have young couples with illness. We have people with brain tumors. We have people in um, all kinds of things. And we have particularly men, men that start to talk like you've never heard in your life. Um, and that to me is a big thing because everybody wants to think about couples therapy as a feminized profession. You know, and relationships is a feminized concern. And I just think if I can do one thing, it's to change that thing around. M guys talk plenty. We have straight couples, gay couples. The gay couple is, to me, my favorite. Um, because because I, I've never seen this happen between two men like that, even in my own office. We have trans couples. So, and I'm, you know, we have... We have religious couples. We have all kinds. To just people with various perspectives. Um, I think anything that you can do to destigmatize mental illness will do a great deal of good. This society has not yet understood that emotional health and physical health go together, that emotional pain leads to physical pain, and that physical pain is emotional pain. I don't understand the distinctions. Um, and that relational skills is not soft skills. It's actually the essence of what will determine, you know, the way you live your life. Um, it's not a performance subject. It's a being subject. It's not what you do. It's who you are. And, um, and I think that slowly but surely people are opening up to this. I think, if, if I understood well, we have had almost a million downloads while it is still unaudible behind the wall, hard to find. Um, and we know more me women listen to it than men, but I can tell you, the guys are writing to us, people young, old, every, about the compulsive listening to this, and, uh, um, you know, and they're bringing it to their therapist, and some of the people that we interview take the episode to the therapist, the therapist <laughs> writes to them about what, the ther what they think I did with them, so I'm now in consultation with that therapist who I've never met, because they write to us after the session as well. And uh, so they write before and they write at the end. Um, and this is the normal thing, you know. Couples therapy didn't exist 60 years ago. I mean, a little bit communication stuff. But basically, this has become the place, you know, for where, a, and it's in this little secret place called the therapy office. So to take this into the car, and to have you listen to this, you know, um, with your children in the back. <laughs> now, this is actually family therapy 101. <laughs> actually, you did such a nice job of setting up um, season two that I, I brought a clip of oh, season wow. two. 
um, that actually plays to what you said. So, um, Peter, do you mind playing that for me? Oh, well, it really seems to make sense to look at it as a family dynamic, not as a person who has an illness and that that's the cause of things, you know, and because we don't have control over that, but we can work on the family dynamic. We do have control over that. And so to, to realize the parts that are within our grasp, that's like that, that um, has the ability to have an effect. The idea of it being a conversation where we talk about the experience that we're having with our family or friends. Um, I think we've really gotten to a point, or I've gotten to a point where, like, I can't keep lying. I feel like I'm lying to everybody. I'm lying to family, I'm lying to friends. I'm, and I'm like, I just can't do this and anymore. I'm not somebody who it. lies. Right, but it's not just that. It's that you're pretending that life is normal as usual. And that's what she feels she did for all those years. She feels that she's been lying. Mm -hmm. That's what she's telling you. Mm -hmm. And without knowing it, you're doing the same thing now. That's the parallel life as well. Right. That really sucks. I never thought of that. I didn't until now either. So Three right. o'clock this afternoon, part two. was Esther Perel and Jesse Baker speaking at the 2017 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with additional support from the Annenberg Foundation. Event sponsors include Cole Hahn, Mac Cosmetics, and thirdlove.com. 